Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dishing with Stephanie's Dish, the podcast where we talk to people that are doing cookbook writing and interested in food. And today, my guest is Jessie Sheehan, and she has the longest cookbook title in the history of titles. So, Jessie, it is Snackable Bakes, 100 Easy Peasy Recipes for Incredibly Scrumptious. Um, okay, I got it wrong. Incredibly Scrumptious something and treats because I wrote it down and I can't read my own writing. <laughs> it's actually except a hundred easy peasy recipes for exceptionally scrumptious sweets and treats. <laughs> I do love the word scrumptious. Do you remember? I know, right? Uh, you might've been a fan of truly scrumptious from what is the show? Um, it's the music man. Yes. Yes. Totally. Totally. Okay. So your book, when I first got it, I opened it. And it looks like, and I hope this is a compliment, it looks like a Martha Stewart, like magazine article. Like it's so beautifully shot. I love that. And you know, what's funny, the photographer has worked a lot for, I mean, now Martha Stewart Living Magazine is no longer, but he has worked a lot for Martha. So that's funny that you would mention that. Yeah. Should we just have a moment of RIP for Martha Stewart Living Magazine? 100%. As a food magazine person, I feel like they're just going by the wayside as fast as, and I love print. Like I want to hold something. I want to hold a book. I want to hold a magazine. Could not agree with you more. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your background. Cause I don't know about you very much. Sure. Sure. So, um, actually, I'm sorry. I'm moving around. That's okay. Um, uh, Actually, I, be, I I did not grow up as a baker. I did not grow up with a family that baked. Um, I have always had a voracious sweet tooth, but the sweet tooth was, was satisfied via baked goods you buy at the grocery store or at a bakery. And um, even though when I think about my childhood and early adulthood, I, the sweets are like a big part of it. Like I have lots of like we all do food memories, yep. whether it's an enormous Rice Krispie treat at a bakery near my first apartment after college or whether it's the devil dogs and uh, Pepper, Pepperidge Farm raspberry turnovers that my mother used to purchase, et cetera, et cetera. I have a lot of strong memories of that stuff, but none of it was me actually making anything. And to be perfectly honest, I had absolutely no desire to do so. Cut to a career as an actress, then a career as a lawyer, then a stay-at-home mom. And about, I had a, I guess my older son was about um, three and my younger son was about one. And um, the, the sweet tooth was still voracious, but something clicked for me. And I thought, you know what, maybe it would be kind of cool to learn how to make all this stuff that I'm enjoying so much. And on top of that, I, although I adore my children, loved being home with them, et cetera, et cetera, I knew I would be a better mom if I was sort of out of the house for some of the day. So I just literally went into a bakery in my neighborhood in Brooklyn and asked if I could be yeah, like an old fashioned apprentice or an intern. You know, I wasn't asking to be paid. I was asking to be to be schooled. And I think they thought I was insane. But um, <laughs> I came back a second time, maybe a little bit 
acted a little bit more low key and uh, they agreed. So I started out as like the, the granola packer. I mean, I was like, I was bakery. I was sweets making adjacent. I wasn't even really doing anything, but I packed up some granola and, and truth be told, I was absolutely horrible at using a vacuum packer. So that it was clear to them right away that this was not going to be my thing. Um, But then slowly, but surely they started, you know, um, allowing me or teaching me to make some of the simpler recipes in the bakery, like the loaf cakes or the cookie dough, or, you know, they had something called the baked bar. The place was called baked, the baked bar, which is essentially like a magic layer bar or a seven layer bar. People have different names for them. So the easy peasy recipes I was permitted to, 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 to try my hand at. Eventually they started paying me. I started doing more sophisticated baked goods for them. And then what was kind of cool is that the two owners of the bakery, the bakery hadn't been around for very long. The two owners of the bakery started writing cookbooks and they wanted someone to test their recipes who wasn't a professional, but had kind of a clue. I'm not that not that not professional bakers don't have a clue, but like have a little bit of a foothold in the bakery world. So to me, it was absolute like dreamy. Oh, my gosh. I don't even have to go anywhere. I'm in my kitchen. I'm being paid to to write recipes or not to write them, to edit recipes and make them. And I think the kind of nerdy lawyer in me loved the precision, not only of baking in general, but of editing a recipe, of testing it really carefully of taking lots of notes like all the stuff that maybe is not so appealing to most of us that stuff wasn't I was going to use a swear word but I won't (laughs) Um, that stuff uh, just completely excited me and that was a beautiful and clean entry into the world of cookbooks Uh, arguably way too early in my career I didn't even know that much but I began not only testing recipes for them but then I began developing recipes because they wrote four books and I by the last book I had developed you know more than half the recipes in their book sure I got like a really amazing kind of schooling in in cookbook writing through them and through their agent I ended up getting a cookbook deal so it, I'm so they are like, you know, everyone has these people in their lives who were so instrumental in getting them started. And the two guys who ran that bakery, they're my peeps. Do you have a imposter syndrome at all coming to this oh kind of late? Gosh, are you kidding? <laughs> I mean, I'm still like sitting here with you. Like, why is she talking to me? Um, I'm just like <laughs> sitting in a chair. Like, who am I? Yeah. Um, yes, totally. I don't even think it matters that I came late because like I had an imposter. I've had an imposter syndrome forever. Definitely when I was a lawyer, maybe a little bit less as an actress. I don't know. I mean, you don't feel like an imposter during pursuing something like that, but you just feel sad because you're like, how come I'm working so hard? And like, not I'm not getting, getting anywhere. Paid. Yeah. I kind of um, even had imposter syndrome as a mom. Cause oh. I just felt like I wanted, like I had this idea in my mind about what a good mother was and how I was supposed to be as a good mother. And I knew I was also a working mom and I got like real clear satisfaction out of my work because I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. And I made my goals and it was very linear. It was like, oh, I'm good at this. And then motherhood was just a constant, endless array of wondering if I was doing it right. And it it just, it sort of became stressful to always be wondering if I was doing it okay. So I don't know, I guess that's the motherhood conundrum. 
Yeah, no, I feel exactly the same way. And even though I thought I loved babies and I couldn't wait to have them, I found it impossibly hard. And just like you said, um, it was hard to feel like you were succeeding. A, B, there was no like external, I mean, you know, uh, um, appreciation. Um, I mean, except that your kids loved you. But also, I think it being a very rigid person and really liking a lot of control, I just found having kids to be so hard because I had absolutely no control. And I did everything I read in the books about how to get them to sleep and how to get them to eat and how to get them socialized. And yet I seemed to be failing at every single thing I tried to do with them. Right. No, I, I really can empathize with that. And it's not something we talk about very much because somehow when you talk about it, it makes it seem like you didn't enjoy your job as a mom, which is not true. I did. And I still do. My daughter's 24 now. And we can kind of just talk about her upbringing and the things I didn't think I was good at. And she was like, mom, like yeah. her, her perception is completely different. So That's really nice. just interesting. One I of the hope, things I hope my boy's perception is different. Yeah. <laughs> or they blacked out and they don't even remember. <laughs> exactly. There is something kind of fun about a cookbook too, with parenting, because a lot of these recipes might be things you made for your kids. Is that possible? Yeah, I mean, it is definitely possible. And and interestingly enough, with this, with this cookbook, I'm noticing that kids are loving it. I'm getting lots of feedback from parents or guardians or caretakers or people that are kid adjacent about how much fun their kids are having, how their kids are flagging every single page in the book as, they, as things they want to make, which I think is just an indication, which I kind of already knew, but an affirmation that I am truly a kid, not only at heart, but in body and palate. Yeah. Like everything for me, it's like what the kids like. I, I did make some of the things for my kids, but I do have the kid conundrum as a baker person, a cook person, where my kids prefer everything store-bought as opposed to the homemade things I made. And that's a teeny bit of an exaggeration. And if my older son hears this, which he won't, he would be very distressed and say, that's not true, mom. Why do you always say that? Every time you are talking on a podcast, you always say that it's not true. But you know what? It's true. So, so even though I have the stuff around and I have their entire childhood, um, they are more likely to be like homemade Oreo. I'd rather have one of those Paul Newman organic ones, you know, I homemade ice cream. You don't have Ben and Jerry's cherry Garcia. Yeah. That's funny. It's that kind of thing. My daughter is the exact same way. I knew you were from a cool climate because you have some rhubarb recipes and in Minnesota, I am crazy about rhubarb and you've got a rhubarb cobbler that has like these big puffy um, biscuity dough balls on the top that looks delicious. Um, That looks really great. And then also you have like a lot of fruit desserts, your strawberry fruit cake. That is like a recipe that I feel like I've made a million times with different fruits. Yep. And then one thing that you have that I'd never thought about doing is you have a, a fruit fritter, like a dessert fritter, like a summer peach fritter. You always think of fritters as like corn or zucchini. Yeah. Tell me about that recipe. 
Sure. That's a really fun. What was what was fun about um, writing the book and developing the table of contents was thinking about all the things either I like to eat or I've never eaten, but are easy peasy. And I, I have made fritters before there. I've made apple fritters and actually I might even have a peach fritter on my website. But I was just it was like an aha moment where I was like, OMG, I got to include fritters in this book. They're so, so easy. The issue is frying is not easy and people don't like it. So I was a little on the fence about including it, but the batter comes together so quickly and the payoff is so grand that I was hoping that people wouldn't get too upset when their kitchen was like splattered in oil and they were hot and burnt and angry at me. Which so is I'm hoping happens, that does but... not happen. But yes, fritters are, I've always kind of made them sweet because in general, I don't really make anything. I mean, I will make like the occasional like bacon cheddar muffin, but in general, my recipes are sweet. And so for me, a fritter is all, uh, it's so funny that you think of it as savory. I'm like, what? The fritters can be savory. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> so funny. Now you also have a very English dessert in here that Jamie Oliver is sort of known for with the summer puddings. Did you yes. eat those growing up? Because I've never actually had summer pudding. Yeah, no, I definitely did not eat them growing up. Don't tell anyone except everyone that's listening, but I, I had never even had a summer pudding until I developed the recipe for the book. It's another great, I'm so glad you mentioned that, that and like the lemon posset are great examples of recipes that I didn't actually, I had never actually made before, but when Googling and looking in my cookbooks and trying to come up with 100 easy peasy recipes that weren't all like snacking cakes or weren't all cookies, yeah. you know, coming up with some variety for the book, I was like, just a minute, what's this posset thing? And just for, for your listeners who don't know, a posset is a pudding, but it's set by combining dairy and citrus. Um, it's funny, it's the same way you can set a no-bake cheesecake, because this, the lemon juice will set the sweetened condensed milk and the cream cheese in a, in a no-bake cheesecake, which I have in the book. And in this posset, it's, it's, it's cooking those on the stovetop that helps the, the, the mixture set once you put it into the, into, the, um, into the refrigerator to set up. But in terms of the summer pudding, again, I was just like, oh, yeah. People, had, I have written a book on icebox cakes. It was my first book. And people would often say to me like, oh, this is like a summer pudding. And I was just like, hello, what, what is a summer pudding? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Isn't pudding for every season? I'm confused. But I, you know, was schooled in summer puddings, as it were, when writing this book. And for those that don't know, it's basically cooking fruit, saving their juices, separating the fruit from the juice, cooking the fruit on the stovetop, and then using, I like a, a really squishy white bread, like like wonder, but you could all, which was like, a, my mother wouldn't allow me to have wonder bread as a child, no. but no wonder bread. So friggin' good. Uh, I still love it. And of course I don't allow my kids to have it either, but you know, or you could do it with brioche or you could do it with challah. But the idea is you snip off the edges of that bread. It's, it's, it's um, soft and fluffy and easily absorbs this berry juice that you've separated from your cooked berries. And then what's super cool about it is you literally like line a bowl with the fruit soaked bread, fill it with the berries and then cover it with more bread. And after a stint in the refrigerator, it literally turns in, I describe it in, I think in the head note in the book, it's like a, it's like a berry cake, quite literally. Yeah. It's so delicious looking. You also took a traditional Rice Krispie bar recipe and you added a secret ingredient. 
I right away was like, oh, what's the secret ingredient? Can we say? Yes, totally. It is sweetened condensed milk. What made you think of that? So years ago, I was at a food conference in New York City and I was, I think I was baking up some like, what were they? Maybe like lemon coconut mini muffins. And next to me was this woman baking up Rice Krispie treats that were literally the best Rice Krispie treat I had ever had in my life. And I don't know what my problem was, but I never said to her, is there a secret ingredient? I just snarfed them down, scarfed them down. She was right next to me. So like the whole day I was just like, oh, can we share? You can have a, you can have a cupcake. Can I have this? And then maybe six months later, a food man, a food, online food site wrote about those Rice Krispie treats and said, I was at this food event and I ate these Rice Krispie treats and I asked what the issue, what the secret was and it was sweetened condensed milk. And I was just like, my mind was blown. Blown, yes. And I've never looked back. I love it. Um, when you, is there like another recipe you have in here that kind of struck me because it's like a recipe we've seen, but you took a little modern twist on it was pink grapefruit graham bars. Yes. Well, it's funny. People, again, don't tell anyone, but all of your listeners, I am not like a lemon bar fanatic and lemon bars are up there. That's not me per se, but it did seem again when, you know, I'm not going to lie, just like to, to lift the curtain away from the recipe developers job and day to day. You are literally trying to come up with 100 recipes and you need a lot of bar. You want to have bars. You want to have like in the cookie. I don't divide the book by recipe type like cookies, cakes. But in my head, I knew how many cookies I had and how many bar recipes I have. And you want yeah, you want variety. So I was like, well, an easy bar recipe is a lemon bar, at least in the manner that I do it with sweetened condensed milk. It makes it easy. Um, but why don't I zhuzh it up, twist it a little bit and do it with grapefruit juice, which actually, I won't lie, proved kind of tricky. It was hard to get that grapefruit flavor. It just kind of tasted um, bitter. Uh huh. And there's a little bit of lemon juice in that recipe that weirdly marries well with the grapefruit and lets that grapefruit flavor sing a little bit. I love it. Uh, I I also, I I won't lie. Sometimes I always make the joke that like looks aren't everything. It's not a joke, serious, but I always (laughs) say looks aren't everything because I am not very good at making beautiful desserts. I'm just going to come out and say that. Um, That's just not my jam. I make delicious desserts and I can teach people about how to take easy shortcuts to make lots of delicious desserts, but the things I make aren't beautiful, but I did have in my head that it would be beautiful to have a pink bar. So the other reason I wanted to make a grapefruit bar rather than a lemon one is lemon bars. Everybody's seen those whatevs, but if it was pink grapefruit, that could be really cool visually. I think there's something about the way that this book feels you say not fancy, but it almost feels rustic mm-hmm. and that feels accessible to me. Like my girlfriend, Zoe Francois has Zoe bakes and her, you know, desserts are so beautiful, but sometimes I get a little intimidated because I feel like, oh, I could never do that. But I know I could do a snack cake. I know I could do a cookie or a hundred percent. It's so funny. I was just texting with Zoe before this. Oh, do you know her? And she, yeah, yeah. And she said, oh my God. We are, we are good friends and she's been so great about helping. I think local cookbook people just in the twin cities, certainly, but also 
you know, she's really helped elevate other cookbook writers. And that's kind of oh. why I want to do the podcast because we got to support each other. She's incredible. And I'm actually coming out to Minneapolis at the end of August to do something fun with her and also bringing my kid to McAllister. And my husband is obsessed with sous chef and yes. dying to go to his restaurant. So we're doing, we're doing a like Zoe plus McAllister plus sous chef. <laughs> oh, that is such a great trip. Wow. Yeah. Well, McAllister is a great college. I grew up right by there. Um, oh, cool. Raised my daughter over there. Oh, nice. Um, and the sous chef is wonderful. You're yeah, going to just excited. love it. I, yeah. you know, him winning the James Beard award is something that I kind of foresaw because I just thought no one is really doing anything like what he's doing, but he's also doing it like it's been done for thousands of years. So it's kind of a funny oxymoron, but the yes. food is really delicious. And you just wait. can't I... believe you're eating stuff that, you know, isn't like how everything's presented now. You're eating really, truly indigenous ingredients and only that. Well, I'm really excited and it's classic. My husband, I mean, not to toot his horn because he, because I'm, sometimes I am mad at him. I won't lie, but, but my husband is really good at like, I mean, he discovered sous chef. He's not following the James Beard awards. He had sure. no idea. He had wanted me to, he had, he had wanted to go there for so long and then the James Beard award. So of course that gets me on board. I'm like, okay, I'll go. Yeah, exactly. All right. It I'm is sure. Jesse Sheehan. It's a hundred easy peasy recipes for exceptionally scrumptious sweets and treats, snackable bakes. Are you going to be um, doing any appearances in the twin cities? I don't think I am at least okay. for this trip, just because, um, you guys have that state fair. Yes. And so people are very busy. So we've done a little snooping to see if there are any opportunities, but I think the state fair kind of takes the cake. Well, I hope you will come back um, in a later date because I would love to take a class with you. Cooks of oh, Crocus Hill would that. be a good spot for you. Oh, and amazing. This, Thank you. They sell a lot of cookbooks too. So that might be a good fit. What's and the name of it? Can you repeat it? Yeah. Cooks of Crocus Hill. And I'll send you an email too. Oh, I would love it. Um, I just can see you're a very engaging person and I can see taking a class would be super fun. And they do oh, a lot awesome. of like cooking the books kind of things. Yep. Totally. So, all right, Jesse, I'm excited about the book. Thank you for being my guest and have a great time in the Twin Cities. We'll talk Thank soon. You. Sounds good. Okay. Bye. Thanks. Have a great day. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you.